You are listening to the You Are Techie podcast, episode number 150. Welcome to the You Are Techie podcast, where it's all about growing in your techiness so you can find the tech job of your dreams. And now your host, technology learning coach, Ellen Toomey. Hey, moms. Are you trying to break into tech? Are you wondering what skills you really need to get hired and how those skills can be worth $45 an hour instead of the $25 an hour you thought when you first started thinking about going back to work? If so, then the Your Techie membership is for you. Our combination of courses, coaching, and community come with the mentor support you need to keep moving forward in your tech career. It's like no other membership program available. We have the exact skills employers are looking for. You'll learn how to maximize your income with portfolio-ready skills that hiring managers are seeking, not to mention the steps you can skip so you don't find yourself down that endless tech learning rabbit hole. Join me as I walk you step-by-step through the getting hired process in tech. Sign up at youartechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I can't wait to see you in our membership. Jen DeWalt is my podcast guest today. And the first thing you should know about Jen is that she was recommended to me by podcast guest, Derek Sivers. Now, if you remember, Derek was featured in Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, and he led a storied career as a thought leader and an entrepreneur. So when he recommended Jen, I chased her down and I literally chased her down. (laughs) Derek found Jen's approach to breaking into tech interesting and effective. Her approach, it can be summed up in 180 websites in 180 days. You can find that on jenniferdewalt.com. It's a fascinating Uber project. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But Jen has founded no less than five companies, including her latest, Zoob, which is a powerful project management platform for companies using GitHub. Zoob makes communicating with the development team effortless. Jen has an undergraduate degree in studio art from the University of Maryland College Park, where she played volleyball and a Master's of Fine Arts in Visual Arts from the Pratt Institute. She lives in Austin with her partner, Erin. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm super excited to be here. Okay. I'm totally going to throw you a curveball now because as I was reading the intro, (laughs) I have to tell you that my daughter is right now trying out for volleyball. She's a (gasps) for volleyball. Yay! If she makes the team, she will. Which team she makes, uh, but her first high school tryout. So, Oh my God, that's so exciting. I know, isn't it? She's a setter. Love she that. wanted to be five nine. She's five five, but she's very fast. So anyway, <laughs> I thought you'd like that. So you played at Maryland. I played in Maryland. Yeah, I was an outside primarily, but a little bit of a utility player. Played a little bit of everything. I'm six one. That's and, amazing. I yeah. wish I could have given her that height, but that's super fun. <laughs> and I, um, I am totally going to tell her that I interviewed you today. Mm-hmm. But I thought you would find that interesting, and yeah. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> yes, yes, please do. I always love. Anytime anybody's getting involved in the sport, it's a big passion of mine, obviously, besides tech. <laughs> yes, we're we're a big sports family here. So I played all the sports, but I always thought I would be taller too, but I'm only like five, seven on a roster, which, you know, is like five, six and a half. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we, we actually have a, a basketball, volleyball sport court in our backyard. Like we're... Oh, that's wonderful. We're intense. Like that's our... T- and they're like, oh, it's for the kids. My husband and I are like, yeah, yeah. it's for the kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like a childhood <laughs> dream of ours. So super cool. All right. So now let's maybe talk a little bit about tech. So tell okay. us a little bit about your 
career journey, like where you started out, how you got into tech. I'm assuming with the arts major, maybe it wasn't number one on your radar in college. So did you think you'd end up in tech when you graduated college? Oh, no, no, absolutely not. Um, when I went to college, I started actually as a bio major. Oh, okay. Was And I thought I was going to be in the sciences and academia. And then she was like, not, it didn't really jive with me that much. And I realized that I kind of wanted, first of all, I kind of wanted to be my own boss. I kind of want to have my own direction. The thought of like working your way up through the corporate ladder, which was very prevalent for when I was in school as the ideal career path, which is like, I, it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And then I saw sort of the same same type of situation happening in academia. So I was like, okay, well, art gives me a place to kind of explore things that I'm personally interested in, hopefully yeah. build a career on that. So I studied art at Maryland. I focused on photography there, went to Pratt to get my MFA because honestly, I just still didn't really know what I was doing with my life. And that seemed like a, a place to at least move forward. Pratt's in New York, a huge draw mm-hmm. <laughs> as well. You're like, seems uh, cool to hang out in New York. I was like, you know work? what I should do in my early 20s is definitely hang out in New York. <laughs> and get into more debt and live in the most expensive city. That yes. actually prepares uh, you really well for entrepreneurship. Yeah. It really does. Yes. <laughs> actually, for all of adult life, that was both amazing and in some way stupid, but it was amazing. And I learned a lot about life there. So I graduated in 2008. And if you're not familiar, the world kind of collapsed, including the art world at the time. I had moved to Los Angeles to start uh, work, to try to start working as a, as a working artist and everything came crashing down. So I was, I was working in the service industry as most people in LA who have big dreams do. And I, I just have to say that's super brave. I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that is that's legit. I did not have those, that guts when I was 22. I just love that you're like, so I moved to LA to be a working artist. And I'm like, oh, like I just am so inspired by that story. So yes, you worked in the service industry. Okay. Got it. Uh, yeah. okay, cool. um, seems a lot more glamorous than it was, but it was fun. Again, learning life, figuring out who I was um, and ended up connecting with, well, my partner was there and he was getting a PhD in physics at the time. And so he and I, and a couple of other PhD students with him got interested in the iPhone app world because it was just emerging at that point. And so we created, we got together and we were like, we should create an app and see what this is all about. So we did that. We created an app called Are You Hot? And- wow. <laughs> I love it. Like R, like letter R, R letter U, yeah. hot? Hot, yes. And we had no idea what we were doing. One of our friends was like, knew a little bit about software design, but like the rest of us were completely clueless. Just people were making money and we thought like, maybe we should try it out. So I was doing that kind of on a design level. That was like my first foray into what is the tech world basically. Mm -hmm. And shortly thereafter, ended up moving into the Bay Area and got a lot, the San Francisco area that is, and got much more involved, like being surrounded by tech world and started to learn a lot more about it. Again, I still was not sure what I was really doing with my life. <laughs> so I was working, working in the service industry, like thinking about, do I get into like design or what have you? And eventually I decided, okay, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to learn to code because at least a little bit, then I'll know what that's all about. And that'll be, you know, I can use that skill to, you know, kind of cement down maybe more where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And so that's... So I, I'm super privileged. I'm super lucky. I was able to kind of get my life in a place where I was able to take um, six months off, um, blocked out to say like, I'm going to learn to code. 
And I came up and then I was like, what do you do? How am I going to do this? Um, and so I came up with the idea of I'm going to do something self, self-driven. And in the art world, there's this practice of like, if you're interested in a new skill or maybe you want to make take on a big project, like a big painting or something, you do a, like every day, do like a small like practice sketch or, mm-hmm. or something along that. And so from that, I sort of said, oh, that's like an interesting idea. Like, what if I make, you know, what if I start this process by doing like one website for a day for a week? Or could I do it for a month? Or, and then kind of that, that thought process, like, oh, like, what if I literally just take a half a year, 180 days, and which is a nice round number, and say one a day, every day. And so that's why that was, that was the genesis, I guess, for that project. That's how I learned to code. And I started really simple, like really basic, like HTML, like learning the basics, just Googling, hitting Stack Overflow, bashing my head against the computer until something worked and then just continually learned to code. And it was great. So that, that kind of self-driven process really worked really well for me because I could like learn something and then like be inspired to learn like the next thing and the next mm. thing and the next thing. So that's kind of a, how that process went. Once you did that, is that how you started your next company? Is that what would happen after 180 yes. days? So and we'll talk more about the 180 days, but let's sure, yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. When I finished that, I had all of this like random knowledge and I said, I need to like condense this down into something that actually makes sense. Some cohesive thing. I came up with an idea for, for a company, a, pro- a product that was called Yum Hacker. And it was a place where people can create lists of recommended restaurants. So like your favorite coffee shops in you know the Soma neighborhood of San Francisco. And so that was a, a project that allowed me to do all the way front end, back end, marketing side of things, SEO design, like kind of the whole package into one. And it was an interesting idea. And I was interested in, in also like, is this a viable company getting that out and testing, testing those waters? Ultimately decided probably not, but while I think it's a good business idea, probably not one that I'm ready to take the helm of at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to move on and join a startup. So I was looking for an early stage startup and ended up at a company called wit.ai, which was a an API platform to add voice interface to primarily IoT products, which was then and so I joined them as like head of growth basically. Um, so not a not a not a super technical role, but not an untechnical role because I needed to understand how to build products on top of the WIT platform. Um, and that was great, wonderful. Um, we saw lots of growth, and then uh, which w- uh, the company was eventually acquired by Facebook and oh, merged sweet. into. Yeah, pretty crazy process. Um, that product was merged into their messenger platform. Wow, sweet! And so from there, uh, once the acquisition happened, I, I decided to move on, and that's when I started Zoom. I was ready. Felt like I was ready to strike out on my own. Startup, kind of hardcore. Let's do this. Did you seek funding? Are you bootstrapped? Or are you? We're largely bootstrapped. In the early days of Zoo, we uh, took a little bit of seed money, um, but we uh, switched into bootstrap mode from there. And so we've been bootstrapped since, well, the beginning, which is since 2015. That's amazing. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about Zoom. So when you when you left college, you kind of had this journey to figure out 
when were you, was there, was there ever a point where you're like, yes, I am in tech and I, I'm going to stick with it. And, you know, this makes sense for me. Yeah. I think like before I started the 180 project, I was pretty sure whatever happened next was going to be in the tech world. I'd already, I was living in, in the San Francisco area. I was surrounded by it all. I wasn't sure if that would be like doing tech art, Mm. buying, marketing, coding, but I sort of felt an industry where there was enough flexibility for me to basically drive the career in a way that I felt was authentic to myself, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to maybe some other areas, which which are a little bit more regimented, I guess. So there was flexibility for that like entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, that, that I had. Got it. So that was actually like one of my questions. But the next question is, you know, what's it like to be a serial entrepreneur? I mean, I've done it a couple times. This is my first time with a product. And, you know, there's a different, there's one thing to start a company that's a different mindset to start multiple ones. So I'll just say that I, I, I have that little insight. And I'd like to hear from your perspective, what it's been like, uh, you know, would, would you go back and do it differently? Or what do you think about it? I mean, like going back to do it differently, I feel like, I mean, you always learn and grow, which is like the the most amazing thing about being an entrepreneur in general is like, you learn so much, Um, even from things that at the, in the moment might seem trivial and you look back and go like, Oh, I learned like so much from that, you know, conversation with a customer or this, you know, you know, uh, total like disaster dumpster fire that's happening. And, and you think like everything is going, the world's crashing, the world is crashing down. And then you look back and you're like, that was like not a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Oh, I could hang out with entrepreneurs all day. That's so, (laughs) so, so like, that's like the most amazing part of it. And I love, you know, I, I think there's been a, a theme now through this conversation. I, like, I really feel like love having that that sense of ownership over mm-hmm. my destiny mm-hmm. that entrepreneurship goes you. At the same time, you know, you, you can't really fall back on anybody, you know, the, the buck stops with you so often. So that's, that's very hard. Like, and it's, it's stressful and it's emotional. It's also really hard for other people to understand what you're doing. Like yeah. when somebody <laughs> says like, Hey, you want to go out to dinner tonight? And I'm like, I'm working. And they're like, it's eight o'clock. And I'm like, yeah, I'm still working. <laughs> yeah. Like, my dad are... will be like, is your boss giving you time off? Your boss yeah. is driving you way too hard. And I'm like, I know. She sucks. <laughs> and you're never, you're never not working. Um, so even right. if you're on vacation, you're still like on call, which is so right. strange for people. It took my family, like during like family visits, my family lives in like Pennsylvania and Florida during family visits to go like, why don't you like come out of the bedroom until like noon or whatever? And I'm like, I got things to do that I, so I can enjoy the rest of the day. So it's just like, it could be very lonely in that way because so many of your relationships like have to like fit into the startup life or the, the entrepreneurial life. Definitely lonely is the one that I, and, and I, I can say this cause I'm not alone. That was the one I did not anticipate quite as much as like, no, it's just the buck stops with me means I've got to conceptualize everything and everything's got to, you know, come for me and nobody's ever going to get it. Like I get it. And even, and that's why it's cool to hang out with other entrepreneurs, but even other entrepreneurs, they've got their own situation. Right. So, and we don't have a lot of time. To no. And everybody's kind of culture is different too. It's really hard. Even, you know, my, my business partner, and I like is also my life partner. And it's still lonely sometimes yeah. when 
even though you have a co-founder. So like, that's mm-hmm. one thing that's, I, I know it gets talked about a lot, but it's also really hard to understand unless you've been through it. <laughs> right, right. It's hard that's to, how think, that is. yeah, it's hard to, you, to put it into words, the emotional yes. experience of like, you want, like, you want to outreach and you, sorry, I didn't mean for this to be like a therapy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, for me and you were like, we're so lonely. No, yeah, no. <laughs> I did not mean for this to go dark. Um, no, but I think it's important. It's an important thing. And I, I just yeah. have heard that from like every entrepreneur I've ever talked to. That's why entrepreneurs can be so cool with each other. Cause they're like, no, 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 I get you. You're my people, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I, I so thank you for sharing that because I think that is an important piece to it like the growth and the emotional kind of the no ceiling, like you can make it whatever you want is amazing. It's like, it's an amazing thing, but there's, there's a dichotomy there. So let's talk about your, let's talk about Zoom. And you and I have a little bit of back and forth. So like, this is, this is like, it's kind of a complicated product really to understand. So I'm just going to encourage my listeners. If you don't get it, if you have any questions post in our, in our Facebook group and we'll circle back on it, but it, it Zoom's really an agile based, which my listeners should know, agile based project management tool for software development teams using GitHub. And you say our, your goal is to provide seamless, effective communication pipelines between software development teams, st- other stakeholders like product, like project managers, customers, and non-technical teams. So that's kind of the high level. I mean, how would you encapsulate, you know, what you guys do at Zoom and what's the value prop there? Yeah. So um, I think a, a good way to start this is to say where, where it came from. Um, so uh, I, as I mentioned, was working at WIT. Um, it was a small team, 10 technical people. Basically, everybody was the first head of their department for this mm-hmm. company. Cool. And we all had to like, communicate about what we were doing, but it's, it's, it's essentially 10 dev engineers and engineers are not necessarily by and large, the best at communicating what they're working on um, outside of their team. And so this was a, a situation that we were struggling with at WIT and to get, how do we get everybody kind of on the same page of, you know, this side of the product, that side of the product, when is this going to launch? You know, when we expect these things to happen, uh, we need this feature request, that kind of thing. At the same time, my partner was a company that was a bit larger. They were between 30 and 50 people, but they, and they had a a large front front of the house as in like non-technical or semi-technical side of the company and a pretty small engineering team, but the engineering team was running the core of their company. So again, you have all of this information coming from customers, from the marketing the sales side of things, trying to get information in and out of their engineering team. Mm -hmm. And again, this was a huge bottleneck of trying to find out what was going on in this black hole of engineering. And so Mm. what we found was that there was a kind of a gap between where the engineers were working and where the rest of the team was working. And and the the thing is that the, the engineers were working in GitHub and they were happy to work within the tools provided in GitHub, particularly GitHub issues. And so we we said, like, well, can we connect the rest of the company into their workflow in a way that that surfaces that information? So that's because they're not the non sorry to interrupt, but the non technical mm-hmm. people are not hanging out in GitHub. So that's they're not I mean, hanging out in GitHub. And right. there's many problems with with you know. So the the one hacky solution there was, well, we'll give them GitHub access to our GitHub repositories. Now you have a problem because of that also gives them access to the code. Many of these people, while not strictly technical, certainly could read and write code. And the, there's just some security and just general like 
uh, division of concerns issues there. So that seemed just like, okay, that's the hack solution, but it's not the right solution. Got it. These people have other, and, and they have other needs as well that can't be satisfied within the GitHub platform because they just fundamentally don't belong there. So we, we set out to create a tool that allowed that pipeline between what are the engineers doing? How can we keep them happy and, and focused while surfacing the information to the rest of the team and allowing everybody kind of to be able to work on the same page? Mm-hmm. Got it. That's great. I love it. So just a couple, like who, who are some of your favorite customers? I mean, you can name them by name or just generally like, who are they? Yeah. Uh, so we, they're very diverse, our customers. Um, a, uh, a large percentage um, are companies that have open source products um, okay. themselves. So they're, they're fielding a lot of external um, information mm-hmm. um, through GitHub. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they're, they're a product that is open source. They have their open source community. They also have an internal engineering team that needs to like, do business around this. Those are customers who definitely love us. Similarly, we have some like consulting firms and then smaller teams that have that are really struggling with this issue of, you know, the engineer and maybe maybe they're just bringing up their front of their house type systems. So they've only been engineering focused and they might be huge, like very large companies, but like at some point, you know, very engineering focused companies at some point have to bring in more non-technical people. And so this is this is a great uh, transitional tool for that as well. That's awesome. That's that's super interesting. Okay, I'd love to hear more about the 180 days. So when Der- this is why Derek recommended you because he's like, this is super cool. I just want I, I, you walked us through a little bit about like why you decided to do that, but because I work with women every day who are like, you know, they decide to do it, but but then whatever the life gets in their way. And the fact that you committed to 180 days and did 180 days, I really want to hear like, what was that like? And do you have any tips for just staying the course? Was there anything? I, were, I mean, were there days you were like, yeah, I don't want to do this at all today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're like many days. Like, yeah. like um, the last thing I want to do is as website number seven hundred seven ninety seventy nine yeah. <laughs> or one twenty nine. My sister got married during the project. My sister who lives in Pennsylvania, which meant I had to travel. So like, not just days that I didn't want to do things, which happened, of course, but days where I was extremely limited in what I could do. I was, you know, the maid of honor in her wedding. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't bring the laptop up to the front. Exactly. So, you know, I was really lucky that I was able to like carve out this much space. And I know not everybody can do that. So like, that's fine. That's okay to to say like, oh, well, I can't just like quit my job and spend 12 hours a day doing a project like this. But, you know, the, the reality is life does just get in the way no matter how best laid plans, right? Right. So you have to be flexible with that. So it was definitely a struggle as far as that goes. But one of the things I did is I set out and said like, okay, I have this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set out this like plan. And this is the plan. This has to happen. And so it's, one one website a day gets published on GitHub, gets published to the website, and then a blog post to go with it. The blog post could just be like super short, anything I want to write, just something to reflect on the day as the sort. And the, the 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 two big, the well, like I said, three big things: the blog post, the publishing on GitHub, and the publishing to the website was like the accountability measure mm. of even you know in the early days, you know, only a handful of people who really knew about this, just some friends and. 
But even that was enough to go like, okay, if I don't succeed today, like how am I going to turn around and say like, I failed on day, whatever. Right. So that for me was like a, a strong motivator that like, okay, that I can't let anybody down, you know? And you were accountable even to that small group. Yes, like, exactly. I said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it. Even if it's, you know, five yeah. of you are out there looking at it. Yeah. And that's stubborn. So like, you know, I said to, to my friends and stuff, I was like, I'm going to do this thing 180 days every day. And they're like, uh, okay, you're nuts. First of all, I'm like, totally not going to do that. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I totally am. So like, that was also like a pretty interesting, part. I mean, for me of like, I will show you, I'm not going to fail. So that, that definitely helped. Even on the darkest days, it was like, you know, I got, I got to do this. So like, I guess, I guess the end, the, the takeaway there is like, find your motivator. Like that's what motivates me. That's not everybody's motivator. And mm-hmm. that's totally cool. Like find something that works for you as far as like how, how to keep moving forward, because it is really easy to get like bogged down with life or, you know, your, you know, you know, just whatever is going on. So I think that's like one huge takeaway. I, 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 say lo- about that. I think that's so important. So that was one of the things So when I, when I launched my company, we, originally we didn't have coaching. And so we it was a course and I walked them through it and I was like, well, man, they're getting stuck. They're here. They can't, you know, this is stupid stuff. They're not even getting stuck on the tech. And so that's why I added coaching. And I think that the, we so underestimate the motivation. And so since you're a sports person, I'm going to talk about this, but you, did you see what's the Michael Jordan documentary? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, gosh, dream, dream. My husband's yeah. going to kill me something. Dream. He's obsessed. Okay. We, yeah. it'll come to me. Yeah. The Michael Jordan documentary. Yes, um, yes, yes. We, so we all watched it. And one of the things that when you were talking and talking about the motivation, one of the things that stuck out to me in that documentary is that what he would do to self-motivate, you know, and people would make judgments. I mean, he would, he would sometimes pick fights. He would literally pick fights with his teammates and with other people. And, and you might be like, oh, he's a jerk. But what, what I, what I could see after, you know, learning all about coaching and like when you were talking about this and motivation, it really stuck out to me that he did not take motivation as a, like, I'm just a motivated person. He took action to motivate himself. And, and so really that's what you're saying. You're like, no, the, the haters, the doubters. I mean, a lot of times I know people stop because they're, 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 people doubt them. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, I took the doubt and I used it as motivation to keep going. Even though every day that probably wasn't your motivation, probably a lot of days you're like, no, it's just day 89. I'm going to show up and I'm going to do it. But some days you needed a little, a little booster there. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I, and it, it is definitely, you know, my, my athletic career definitely feeds into this like concept of, as well, of like daily practice, like mm-hmm. kind of like you're, you're comfortable with being uncomfortable, I guess. And then like, yeah, the motivation of like being so competitive, such a fierce competitor, you go like nothing will keep me down. Right. Yes. No, I love that. I was asked a question once on a podcast and that a lot of times, so I was good at, I was good at math. My dad was a math teacher. He taught me math, but that's such a misnomer. That's why I love that you have an art background that like, oh, if you're good in math, you'll be good in technology. That's not true. I think my sports career was way more impactful in me getting into technology. Like that was just that daily practice of like, nope, like, okay, tweak, tweak, like the mistakes are just part of it. Like I'm going for me, I can think about basketball practice and I just showed up and I'm just going to go there and I'm going to just do it. And as, and some's going to be good and some's going to be bad, but I'm going to improve by the end. 
And I just, I can't stress enough how that daily practice, whatever your daily practice is, is was really helpful to me. And, and I, that's one of the things that I teach. And one of the things I saw in your 180 days is yeah. that daily practice. So you got, you got good fast, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it was actually, it was crazy. And like I, on day 115, I posted it to the world. It went viral, which was bananas. Why did 115 go viral? Why did? Oh, so when, so as, as I was working through the project at some point, I was like, I should, you know, like I said, a handful of my friends basically knew about this, nobody else. And I was like, well, I should sort of tell people about it in a way that's bigger than my community. So, right. so I post, I wrote a blog post introducing the project um, and posted it to Hacker News. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had some friends who were, who were helpful and in surface, helping to surface it. And it, it took off. It was, and it, t- it went to number one. It was like at number one on Hacker News for like two days, basically three days. It was on the front page, which at the time was completely nuts. Yeah. Totally went like, you know, millions of people on my website. (laughs) Thankfully it held up. (laughs) I was like, you're like, like, (laughs) yeah. Like, you know, like the Reddit hug of death or whatever, like that kind of thing, like the hacker news hug of death. I was like, Oh no. And then I, I, I'm just going to continue because this is kind of an interesting story. So yeah. So it went viral. I'm just, I'm like going nuts. I'm, I still have to make a website that day. I had not planned for this to be this crazy. So I didn't really have anything in mind. Um, in fact, what I had in mind to make that day was pretty complicated. So because I just did not realize how crazy it was going to be. My inbox is blowing up with emails. Like I'm just making sure the server stays up and running. And so I'm like, cool. And like, the, so most of the traffic during the day is from the United States because that's the time zone we're in. So. And that's right. when it went out. And I was like, okay, it's, it's calming down. And then I'm like, okay, well, okay. Things are calming down. I'm going to try to deploy. Mm-hmm. And the deploy does not work. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, so like my website's down, things are going, I'm trying to get this, whatever the, the bug is worked out. And meanwhile, the, the Russians are coming online. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, just wait, let me deploy. Oh my God. And the numbers start, yeah, start going up. My inbox is filled with people named Vlad and Alexi. And I'm like, <laughs> managed to get it back up, but it was completely nuts. Um, but back to what we we're talking about, a lot of a lot of the, the feedback I got, you know, obviously a lot of people were super interested and really excited and complimentary. But a lot of it was like, there's no way this person can do this. Have you looked at the code? Meanwhile, I'm like copy pasting out of Stack Overflow <laughs> for most of this stuff, right? Yes. But it was crazy. Yeah. So I think we started this with like growth over time, like the best growth I believe for not just for for me, but I think largely for most people is growth is learning by doing whatever that means for you. But to to actually like complete projects to to perform actions that are relevant to the work that you're trying to the goals you're trying to reach. Yeah, so that went in a little bit of a twisty way. That was brilliant. I loved all of it. That was super fun. I got great details on it. All right, just a couple more questions. I would love to know, I don't, do you, do you interview people regularly? I don't know how much Zoom is hiring or, or you can use what you've done as, as um, someone who's been interviewed, but what are your two favorite secret weapon interview questions? Yeah. So I, so I you know, think about that. So as an interviewer, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm very far away from like the, the super Google interview question. Like, <laughs> um, I think it's very, it, it's very bad for inclusivity it doesn't really tell you very much. So I, I stay away from, from that. Um, I'd rather like talk to a person 
from where they are. And I think you can get a lot more from them that way. So that's crazy talk, Jen. Where did you come up with that? So you want to speak to them like a human Yes, and where Um, they are. Yeah, that's insane. Yes, (laughs) I I know. I'm I'm super, super out there on that one. But but so what I like to ask there is like, what is something you've built or contributed to or organized, something like that. And I I like to try to come from a place of where the person is. Hopefully I know something about them. So it could be, you know, I built this tech product or, but it could also be like, I'm really into baking cakes. So Mm -hmm. I went in and I do this like hobby of, of baking cakes for my community or I, you know, whatever hobby it can be or how I organize my household, like in the context of like, you know, we have, we have lives with, with children and pets and family members. And like, how do I organize that in a way that's successful can totally be a perfectly reasonable answer there. But it definitely, that's a question I feel like helps expose, like, are you the type of person who's willing to put in the work to make things happen? Right. How do you think about that work? And, you know, how does that, how does that translate into what we're like looking for? I think from an interviewee standpoint, two really important questions that I, that I give to particularly women, minorities, but basically everybody is ask about how the position that you're, that you're applying for has evolved and how the responsibilities will change. Mm. So you can understand like, what are you walking into and where are you going? (laughs) Those questions can't be answered. Then that tells you a lot about the culture of the team that you're trying to join and what's moving, moving them forward. And can you move forward with them? And so different ways. Also, if you know the person left, like, why did the person leave? Like, Mm -hmm. what has changed here? Because if there's an opening, there's a reason for that opening. Hopefully, there's not always. And then second, how is mentorship handled? And what mentorship opportunities are there moving forward? So it's especially as you're young in your career, knowing, walking into a team with nobody who can help guide you into your role. And I think this goes from top to bottom, like all throughout your career, but it's especially important early. Is there going to be somebody who can show you the ropes, give you opportunities to level up? And, and can you then give back into that culture? If the answer is, I don't know, for basically both of those, then you know, you, you know you're going to be on an island. And in general, that's probably not the best place to be. And so at the very least, you need to go into it knowing that, that that's the case. That's such good. That's that's a great question. I love that. I think I think we underestimate that so often the mentorship factor and the I know I do personally. I know it still do, and I still work on that. Is that it's just hard to encapsulate how important that will be throughout your career. You know? Absolutely. All right. I'm super interested to ask you this because just. I'm not going to plant any seeds. I'm just going to say, I just, whatever you say about this, this will be super interesting. So you're, you're a woman in tech and I'd like you to give advice to a woman who's considering a career in tech. She isn't sure yet. She might do it. She might not. You're a woman in tech. What do you say? First, tech is a huge word. It's a huge field. Mm-hmm. So considering a, a job in tech means almost all companies are tech companies. So you have opportunity everywhere. Um, and that, so you could be a software developer, you can work in sales, you could be a sales engineer, which is a software, you know, somebody who writes code in it, but for sales people, right. You know, like there's marketing, there's technical marketing, there's all sorts of opportunities. So like, if you think I would like, I'm interested in tech, like go out, pursue, you know, go find, like 
there's something there for you, mm-hmm. almost certainly. And a great place to look for that is like start reading job posts for different positions and see mm-hmm. what starts sounding interesting. Whenever I talk to young, like really young people, like in high school and, and, and college, it's always like, go read job listings. Don't, you don't have to apply for them. I don't like that's, that's different. Read them, see what, what people are looking for. Like I had no idea that something like a sales engineer was a job mm-hmm. until I got into tech. That's right. crazy. Right. Um, and then the next big thing is one of the, one thing that I see happen a lot is there's like an anxiety to jump in and do it because this feels like such a, like getting, getting a job in particular, like, okay, I'm going to get a job at a company. That seems like a huge commitment for a lot of people because like, that's the first big step. It's not a big deal. You should think about your first job as being one to two years max. Mm-hmm. It's your first place to start getting experience and understanding some of the nuances of working in tech and you can move on. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people who one, like so much anxiety, like, Oh, I gotta like get the best job. I need to work in the best place. Like obviously look for great culture, look for things that are going to help your career, but like, it's not the end all be all for your, mm-hmm. for your career. It's the starting point. Right. And it's more important to get started and start moving forward than it is to find the perfect job and then do it. Like if it's not the right job for you, if you don't see growth potential, leave. Like, mm-hmm. I would never say like join for only three or six months. Obviously, if you end up in a really toxic place, like you should get out, but you know, stick it out, get some experience, contribute to the company. They'll contribute to you and then move and find the place that's, that's right for you. And it's the, the world's a huge place. It could be a t- teeny tiny, like growth stage startup, just raised a little bit of money all the way up to, you know, the big, big corporations, Google or Walmart, or like, you know, whatever, whatever, like large scale corporation, like there's everything in between. So there's tons of flexibility for you. Mm-hmm. That is, that is great. That's super interesting. Jen, this was, this was a fascinating call. I'm, I'm glad that that 180 days went viral. I'm glad that you we're able to share that with the world and and have that experience. And I just appreciate you so much from the standpoint of teaching and being an example for women in tech that, you know, you get you have permission, you get to go do it. Look, I just I did it. And and I and I love your major in college that was not at all indicative. We use these things as excuses to say, well, I did this, so I can't be in tech, or I did that. And in your 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 attitude. And your actions about just doing it, I think are really unique and not unique. Maybe maybe they shouldn't be unique, but they are unique and special. And so I, I'm going to continue to share 180 days. And I, I know it's part, I know it's just a part of your story, uh, but we'll also share Zoom and, and link to it in the show notes. And I just enjoy this conversation. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is tons of fun. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to sign up for the UR Techie email list. Imagine being in the tech job of your dreams. Join me to get the strategies, training, and never-ending support to get hired. Sign up at URTechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I'll see you next time.